0: We come before you this morning and we God I, I just from my heart and for the hearts of those in this room this morning I, I pray that we would, we would land there and just live there Father that you would cause us to see and, and cause us to be encouraged and, and to find our joy in turning our eyes upon your Son Lord your word promises that as we do, we experience You, Father, and Your Word promises that, that the things of the earth grow dim in the light of, of the greatness and glory and grandness of who You are, Father. I pray now as we walk through Your Word and study Your Word, God, that You would just descend upon our hearts and uh, free us from distraction, Lord. Uh, I pray for for clarity of, of word this morning, clarity of thought that we might come into an encounter with the beautiful perfection of your gospel. God, I thank you for persevering in holding fast Scripture that we might study it and we might know your character because of it. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to worship. And I thank you for the truths that you have... Uh, allowed us to proclaim already this morning and will continue to proclaim. God, be with us again as we we dive into your word and meet us here. God, bless us uh, through the study of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. So we are in the the middle of our series studying the book of Galatians. Um, The series is called The Gospel is at Stake. And... um, this is a, a really, really big deal um, and the the image that we 've chosen up there is is intentionally graphic because we want to we want us all to come to this this conclusion that that the gospel is at stake, and the gospel is massive and it 's absolutely important and it 's the only thing that allows us to have life and continue on in this world um, one of uh, one of the the most intense genres of movies for me is uh, about abductions or kidnappings and stuff. My wife, I actually, I can only watch them alone because they just totally freak with my wife. That's one of the, 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 the biggest nightmares is someone who's going to take one of our kids. Uh, but I, I, think about movies like Ransom, uh, Mel Gibson movie and a movie like, uh, called Taken. It was out a few years ago and, uh, just other movies like that where, especially Ransom, where Mel, Mel Gibson is really, uh, Like intense about give me back my son. That's you probably remember that quote and can probably see him on the like the news there screaming that out. And he's just so intense that he wants his son back. And he's intense. And the movie Taken, the guy goes like destroys a whole bunch of people to get his daughter back. And so we'll go to great lengths. We'll suffer. We'll we'll give money. We'll give of who we are. We'll give anything to get our kids back. And it's that notion that you see in these abduction movies that. That Paul writes with in the book of Galatians, because the gospel is at stake in those movies, your child is at stake here, the gospel is at stake, and I want us to to see the the strength and the vigor with which Paul writes because of the the massiveness of this, but I, I want to lay in front of us the, the main point for the message that i 'll give this morning and also the main point for the book of galatians it 's this: We are justified by faith and not the law. If you can come to grips with all all that that means, we are justified by faith and not the law. You've come to grips with the the entirety of the book of Galatians. But I want to spend some time defining that. This phrase is up there, we are justified by faith and not the law. Because there's a lot of religious words that are up there, and so I don't want to assume that we all understand what we're talking about when I say justified, and when I say faith, and when I say the law. Ultimately, here's what I mean. Following rules is not going to get you to God. Following rules will not get you to God. I don't care who you are or what's what's going on in your life, what's in your past, what's in your future. Following rules will not get you to God. The only thing that will is trust and surrender. Faith, this, this thing that this is talking about and Scripture is talking about, whenever you see faith in Scripture, it's trust and surrender. I've used this illustration before, but it paints the picture beautifully of what faith is about, what trust and surrender are all about. Um, in the, the ancient East, in Japan, they had uh, shoguns. And the shogun was the, the economic and the political and the military ruler of the area. There were, there were two tribes that warred. And whichever tribe was on top, whichever tribe was ruling, their leader was the shogun. And in his palace, he had one entryway into his palace. But once you gain entry into his palace, you could have anything that was the shogun's. Any protection, any resources, any food, anything. Once you gained entry into his castle, you had anything that, the, that that shogun had. But the only one way to get into the, the shogun's castle was this. First, there was a, the opening was about three feet off the ground and then about three feet shorter than the average man. All right. So imagine an opening about about this big, and that's the only way into the castle. So what you would have to do to get in is first you would you would step over, announcing your presence to the guards that were there, and secondly you would duck your head under this part and and expose your neck. So the guard is is, that's right here. Has he's been warned that you're here, and now you've exposed your neck to him. He can chop your head off like that. All right. So you're you're trusting. That this guard is going to know who you are, accept you for who you are and by your foot, and then you're surrendering your life. But once you're inside the, the shogun's castle, everything that's his is yours. This is the definition of faith. Trust and surrender. That's the only way to gain this entry into the kingdom, entry into this justification. And justified is, is just a, a simple uh courtroom word, a legal word that says I have right standing in this relationship. If someone is found not guilty, they are justice has been served. They have been justified and they can go and, and live their lives. For us to stand before God, the only way that we can be justified to have relationship with God is through this trust and surrender in what God did and not by the law. When the law is just the rules of scripture. So following rules, can't get us to God, only trust and surrender will. And so that's the the main huge point that we have to see as a big banner as we walk through this series in Galatians, and even as you walk through most of the New Testament, if you put that in front of your mind, this is what the scripture is trying to teach to me, that I am, I have right standing with God, I have the, the legal right to stand before God because of what Christ has done and my trust and surrender in that. That's all of scripture. Uh, A.W. Pink um, <clears throat> says this In myself, my case is hopeless. I am no more capable of doing better than I am of creating a new world. That is, flies in the face of religion, flies in the face of what we've always thought. And by the way, A.W. Pink wrote about 150 years ago. This is not some new notion. In myself, my case is hopeless. I have nothing that I can do to please God, to earn favor, to earn relationship, to earn trust, to earn anything with God. The only thing that I'm banking on is Christ and what he has done. And, and here's the thing. This theme is throughout the whole book of, of Galatians and all throughout the book of Ephesians and everywhere. This, this theme of we are saved by, by grace through faith. We are justified by faith and not by the law. This theme everywhere and I want us to, to know that, that our faith is, our relationship with God is based solely on this fact that Christ suffered a death that we should have suffered to live a life that can give us life. He suffered and paid the penalty that our sin uh, should have meant for us, but instead it's been put aside. But the, the thing that, that I want to warn us on, because I think we've Dave and I preach the, this gospel all the time in, in life, in community groups, in sermons, and just blogs and all this stuff. This notion is put in front of us quite often. But I want to I warn us about something. Here's something that, that I, I find myself falling into the trap of, is sometimes our perceived right understanding of the gospel, do you follow that? Our perceived right understanding of the gospel, all the stuff that I've just talked about, can be our religion that we think earns our way to God. I have somehow earned a better place with God because I have a grasp of the gospel better than you do. Do you see the arrogance and and self-focus that's in that? Because ultimately, here's the deal. We are trying to get to a place where where God loves us more due to something that we have done. But ultimately, the only thing that allows us audience or relationship with God is trust and surrender in the work of Christ. Period. Nothing more. And, and do you see that the difference there is the religion that, that we fight against and the religion that I just kind of laid out of, of who we think we are because we know we, we have a grasp of the gospel is self-focused. But ultimately, the point of Christ, the point of our redemption, is that we would take our focus off of self and place it onto God. Um, Genesis 2. The the last verse of Genesis 2 says we were, Adam and Eve, are naked and unashamed. And and that is the point of our redemption and the point of, of getting us back to this place with God is that we could stand before God naked and unashamed. When you are wearing your religion, when you are wearing what you've done, you are clothing yourself with what you've done. When you are wearing your right understanding of the gospel, you're clothing yourself also with what you've done. The place where we want to get back to is that we are so unself focused completely focused on God that we lose sight of, of anything that's in us. Anything that's about us, I I want to want to say this one one statement here. Your freedom is not for the sake of freedom. Christ's death is not for the sake of your freedom. It's for the sake of your worship. You are free to truly worship because you are free from sin and you are free from the law. I want to walk through that and help us to understand that because it's, it's massively important. And I'm, I'm laying all this gospel stuff out because it's what Paul's message is. And then he, in just a second, he's going to call us to, to go and live this out on this planet. So this, this idea of, of Christ's death, we can make that very, I can make that very Rick-centered. Christ's death was for me to give me freedom. It was for me to give me freedom to worship, to stand before God naked and unashamed. And, and I want you to, to think about that concept. If you were naked in this room right now, you would be very self-focused. You would be very completely self-aware. Oh my gosh, what are those people thinking of me? Oh man, I'm, I'm really cold. Or man, people think that I'm weird or what, whatever's happening. But I want you to, to bring that notion here to our relationship with God. The point of Christ's suffering is so that we can stand before God completely unaware of our, of our worth, of our lack of worth, of anything. The only thing that we're engaged with is the beauty and awesomeness of this holy and perfect God. And that's where Adam and Eve were in chapter 2 of Genesis, and that's where the death of Christ will get us one day although now we're, we're surrounded by evil, we're, we're surrounded by, by by things that cause us to be self-centered, because of, if I was naked right now, because of all of you, I would feel, you know, want to hide. And it's the evil that's present in this world that causes us to want to be self-centered. And, and what does this person think of me? What does that person think of me? What does God think of me? All that stuff is laid away, laid aside by the cross. That's the freedom that's brought. So, let's get into the... Let's get into the Scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to uh, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, this is Paul's fight. There's going to be uh, a couple of things that I'm going to lay as commands for us that, that I've kind of brought free from, from the first 10 verses of chapter 2 in Galatians. Uh, the first one is fight for the gospel. This is a command for us watching Paul act and live in Galatia he's commanding us to fight for the gospel. Let me give you a a quick uh, contextual history lesson for how the book of Galatians was written. Paul on his first missionary journey goes into six different cities. Every time he goes into the city he goes and preaches the gospel people uh, convert to Christianity. People give their lives to Christ, trust and surrender, all that stuff and then religious people come in and say no that's not the way we're going to kill you, Paul. And so Paul runs to the next city. And then those same, he preaches to to new people in a new city, and those same religious people chase him into the new city and chase him away. And after he does this like three times, and the fourth time, they stone him and think that he's dead. But Paul miraculously is alive and goes on to the fifth city and then to the sixth city. So it's in these six different cities in this region called Galatia. And he goes back through and, and establishes and appoints establishes churches and appoints elders and that's what's happening and so these religious people after paul has left have come back in and have imposed a different gospel than the one paul preached and now he's writing this letter to say hey wait a second that's not right so paul as he's writing this letter is once again submitting himself to to the being injured to being hurt to being uh spoken poorly of to being killed by these religious leaders and paul isn't afraid He's fighting for the gospel. You and I don't really have to fight for the gospel like Paul had to fight for the gospel. But we can glean from his teaching here that we should be fighting for the gospel in whatever context that we, we find ourselves in. So chapter 2, skip into to verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into slavery... These people have, have sold themselves out to the gospel and then new people have come in and say it's not just the gospel, it's more than that. And so this confrontation that he has with these religious leaders is rooted in jealousy and it's, it's masked in purity. There's a lot of times that that happens around religious circles and denominational circles. Fights between denominations, fights within denominations is a lot of times rooted in jealousy and masked and purity. Anytime you find yourself engaged in a conversation with somebody who believes differently about the gospel than you, think to yourself, ask yourself an honest question, is this fight rooted in jealousy, and is it being masked in purity? Am I, do I really just want to win you to my way of thinking, or am I really concerned with, with what you think about Christ, and what you think about God, and, and the gospel, and, and all of that? Because here, in this case, the confrontation is from these religious leaders is rooted in their jealousy. That I, I, I call these people power wolves. They're, they're out to, to mutilate flesh to gain power. And they mask their jealousy with a concern for doctrinal purity. Uh, he says they, they sent spies to overturn our freedom, which is really just a power grab. Go down to, to verse 5. To them... We did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. To them, these power wolves who thought that they killed Paul, they, they intended, in one of the cities, they just chased him out. In the next city, they said, we're going to stone you if you don't stop preaching. And Paul kept preaching, and he snuck out in the middle of the night. And then in the next city, he actually did get stoned. Paul, here, to them To these power wolves, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Again, go back to the to the movie Ransom or Taken or or Changeling and all these movies where someone is abducted, someone that you love is abducted. You'll do anything to get them back. Paul is the the same idea. He's fighting strongly for the gospel because it's massively important. There's no bigger thing for us to come to grips with or to understand or to apply in our lives than the gospel. And Paul is saying the gospel is too precious to budge even an inch for even a moment. And Paul is standing firm on this issue and is willing to fight to be vilified, to be tortured, and to be killed for its sake. And what it is, the gospel, is that we are justified by faith and not the law. Uh, Verse 6 <clears throat> says this, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. We can, we can take this idea from that. Your identity as a missionary. Paul has talked, laid out the gospel, and now Paul begins to, to give us direction on our mission, why you exist, what, how it is that you are to proclaim the gospel. And I want to I say this. What we can bring from this verse 6 is your identity as a missionary comes from God and not from man. One of my biggest jobs, one of Dave's biggest jobs, one of your community group leaders' biggest jobs is to show you your mission and The rest of the morning, the rest of the message, we'll we'll be talking about your mission and and what that looks like and what God has called you to, who God has called you to, and and begin to to think through asking yourself questions to strategize how we are to live out our mission. But ultimately, what we take from this, your identity as a missionary comes from God and not from men. If God has called you to something, run with it, go with it. Our job as leaders of you is to equip you and, and drive you to that mission, to drive you to that goal. To drive you to that purpose, why you exist. Just like Paul here, God has given him this, this task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, to preaching the gospel to those who are not Jewish, who, who are not thought of as the chosen people. Paul is, is preaching to them in this moment. Verse 7. On the contrary, this is, by the way, these, these, let, me, let me go back and stop for a second. Um, what's what's inserted there parenthetically in in verse six? What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. He is Paul is preaching here against idols. Sometimes in the church we act in a certain way because we expect peop, we we think people expect us to act in a certain way. There are acceptance and validation idols. Here's the deal: if if you go out and and engage your neighbor for the gospel, t- talking to them about the gospel, for because I, I've called you to or I've told you to. That's It could possibly be a, an idol that you have of validation or acceptance. You want me to tell you you've done a good job. Paul is saying here, I don't care if people tell me I'm doing a good job or not. I don't care if people tell me to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles or not. God has called me to preach to the Gentiles. That's all that matters to me, and here this is what he's talking about in verse six. So, skip down to verse seven, and it begins to get even more specific and even more courage giving to us. Verse seven says, "On the contrary," meaning I don't want people to see, I don't need people to, to, to give me validation on my mission. On the contrary to that, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the circumcised, just that Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised. So Peter is the leader of those taking it to the Jews, and Paul is the leader of those taking the gospel to the uncircumcised, the the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so this is Paul's mission, the direction for his life. And he doesn't care what anybody says to him. He's going to go and do his mission. And here, I want to bring out one word to us, this word entrusted. This word entrusted is the Greek word pisteuo, and it means to be persuaded, to have confidence in to believe in something, Paul has been entrusted with the gospel. This is a this is a really big deal. Um, this is God whispering to you when when you are entrusted with the gospel. This is what what Paul what God is saying to you. I believe in you. Um, several years ago, I got to uh, uh, I used to belong to the Missouri Athletic Club. And they had a traveling basketball team, and they had probably a hundred guys that played basketball down there, and they, uh, they, they picked eight guys to go and be the traveling MAC basketball team to go play in Chicago, L.A., and Cleveland, and all over, the, all over New York, Boston. Um, and somehow I got, I got picked to be one of those eight guys to play on this traveling basketball team. Um, the only reason was because I was smart enough to know who the good players were and who the powerful guys were who would choose that team, and I passed them the ball so they could shoot more. So that's the only reason I got to play. Uh, so they chose me to be one of those eight, and so on the plane to—we'd uh, we'd been on several of these trips before, yearly trips, and, and I'd, we'd never really had much of a chance to win, but this particular team we had, we had a really, chance, really big chance to win this, this, uh, this tournament— there's a guy on a team named Scott Heimark. You might have heard that name before. He announces basketball games on TV now. He used to go to SLU back in like the, the mid-90s, and he played in the uh, NCAA tournament against a guy named Tim Duncan. You might have heard of Tim Duncan. Uh, so SLU played Wake Forest when they were in, in college, and Heimark actually outplayed Duncan in that game, and they almost beat him, and he had like 25 points and 12 rebounds, and Duncan didn't have near that anyway. The point is, Scott Heimark is this nationally known basketball player and he's on my basketball team and he and I are sitting on the plane next to each other and he knows because he he just understands basketball he's kind of our leader of the team he knows that I think the only reason I'm on the team is to pass people the ball to pass guys like him the ball which is why I think I'm on the on the on the trip and he says to me on that trip on the plane on our way to Chicago shoot more Rick we need you to shoot more I believe that if you shoot more, we're going to be better, and I was like, like twenty-four years old, and like, wow. Scott Highmark just told Scott Highmark just told me to shoot more, and so I, he's like, because every once they see you play, they're going to know all you're interested in is passing the ball, and then they're not going to guard you. So you need to make sure that you shoot more when you take the ball to the basket shoot, don't look to, to pass it off. And, and so here's Scott Heimark telling me this, and it brought great courage to me. But I want to say, verse 7, when God says, I believe in you, and, and understand this, Paul here in this passage is the one who the belief is being placed in. God is the one doing the believing. When we are entrusted with the gospel, and each of us are entrusted with the gospel, holy, perfect all-knowing, all-powerful God who could come up with any way in the world to to speak his redemptive plan, chose you. I'm going to entrust you with the gospel. I'm going to believe in you. This entrusted word is a kind of a stewardship thing, but there's more belief. Ultimately, God himself says to you, and this can very easily get cheesy here, like a, a Hallmark card moment. But I want you to know it's truth. Holy God, speaking into your life, I believe in you. It's crazy. It's baffling to me. In Matthew 8, 13, you guys might remember the story of the centurion that comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his son. He says, heal my son. I know you can heal my son. And and he says, Jesus said to the centurion, go and it shall be done for you as you have believed. This is the same word that is translated in Galatians as entrusted. The exact same word. Conjugated the exact same way. Here is translated as believes. God is saying, I believe in you. Think about what you know about that story. Centurion, powerful Roman guy who doesn't Connect with religion, doesn't connect with Christianity, doesn't connect with any of that stuff, comes to Christ and sees the power that's within him, sees the power that's within him, and trusts him that he will do what, he's, what he can do, and he believes in Jesus. And because of that belief in Jesus, Jesus says, Your son is healed. In this story, it's the centurion that has the belief in Christ. In Galatians, it's God that has the belief in you. Same word. Wow. Your identity as a missionary doesn't come from me. It comes from the scripture. It comes from God. God has entrusted you. Man, that makes you want to run home and get on the phone with somebody that God has drawn your heart to preach the gospel to. God Believes in you. Powerful. Verse 8. For he who worked through Peter, for his apostolic ministry, I want to define that religious term, apostolic, just a, somebody who's a, a grand speaker for a, a big entire generation, entire region, someone who is the, a speaker on God's behalf, teaching the ways of God. An apostolic person. For, for me, there's guys like Tim Keller, guys like John Piper, or, or apostolic ministers, national ministers of people who believe like we believe and, and teach and guide the church. Somebody who, for a grand region, who teaches and guides the church, that's an apostle. That's apostolic. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, that is the Jews, worked also through me for mine, to the Gentiles. He's talking about the Spirit of God. And what we can draw from that is we have to, as we live out and breathe out this mission that God has called us to, that we are a missionary due to the fact that God is calling us and, and we receive our, our mission from this word and trusted all these things, as we do this, we have to stay connected to the Spirit as Peter and Paul were as they were living out their apostolic ministry. And their apostolic ministry is a a big religious way to say this is the reason they exist on this earth. This is the reason why God allows them to continue to take breaths is to go and serve out in this apostolic ministry. And let me say there is a reason that you continue to live and take breaths on this planet. And it's that's whatever that reason is that's what your mission is. In order to fulfill that mission that God has believed in you for, we need to stay connected to the Spirit. How do we do that? Reading scripture, studying scripture, memorizing scripture, prayer, being involved in community, asking questions, strategizing. I want to ask uh, this question. How much time do you spend in strategy, in prayer, in discussion with community, seeking who God has called you to be on mission to? I bet it's, it's woefully little. I'm a freaking pastor and it's woefully little for me. I spend more time trying to figure out who I'm going to start at quarterback on my fantasy football team. I spend more time trying to figure out what my, my group of friends is going to do on Friday night, how we're going to figure it out, what we're going to do, where we're going to go, who's going to go with us but there's a grand mission for your life. There's a reason you're on this planet taking breaths. The answer is, is that's your mission. How much time are you spending strategizing about that, living that out? How, much, how many times do, are we presented with a perfect, perfect opportunity to speak gospel, and we shrink? Our failure in that is probably rooted in our failure to be connected with the Spirit. Look at this. The the Spirit worked through Peter. The Spirit worked through Paul as they lived out their apostolic ministry, their mission. The Spirit worked through them. We absolutely must be connected to the Spirit. We must have all the things around us to guide us and protect us on our mission. Community, prayer life, reading, meditating, studying the Word. That's why we have Community groups. That's what, if you were in a community group this past week, chances are you talked about your mission and your direction and your purpose and, and all those things that were, that were going on there and who God is calling you to be on mission to. We have to be in community. We have to be in prayer. We have to be reading Scripture and meditating on it to be connected with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. And when it seemed, and when James and Cephas, that's another name for Peter, And James is the brother of Jesus, who was also an apostle. So, when these three apostles, who seem to be pillars that is, pillars of the church perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. These trusted men that they have, these three major apostles Peter, James, and John, those are the three main major apostles that preached, and were the three main major apostles even when Christ was alive, walking on the planet. When these three guys say to the rest of the church community, Paul knows what he's talking about. It's a grace. It's a gift. Any attractiveness that you have, any firm grounds you have to stand on, any right that you have to speak the gospel is a grace gift given to you by the Spirit. Pray for it. Pray for grace. Pray for opportunity Pray for uh, courage. Pray for invitation to speak the gospel into lives of people that God has called you to. And then the last thing, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing that I was eager to do. At the end of this big, Paul talks about what the gospel is. Paul says, God believes in you to go and do the gospel. And as you do, remember, always serve the poor. Remember, always serve the poor. And I, I want to end this morning with a couple of thoughts. Uh, we're going to be, again, presenting something called the Advent Conspiracy to you guys. You'll see more about it. If you were part of the church last year or on the, the holidays, you'll, you'll remember. Uh, basically, buy less gifts for people and instead give money away to the poor. We're going to have four different opportunities for you guys to... to Find what you connect with and an opportunity. So instead of buying a $100 gift for your mom, buy a $50 gift for your mom and give 50 to a particular charity. And we're going to, we don't want to say this is the one we want you to give to. We want you to, to you know, exude your own heart and your own soul. Figure out what it is that God is calling you to connect with and give to. We're going to present you in the, the season starting the last Sunday in November and then the, the next three Sundays, the first three in December. Four different opportunities for us to give to a mission that's happening, where somebody's going and proclaiming the gospel to a particular culture and generation. Um, and so I want you to, to pray through that. that. That's coming. See, know that that's coming, an opportunity to go and serve the poor. And the second thing, the, the thing that I really want us to, to think through and encourage you to think through practically is think about where it is that you are rich. Maybe that's time. Maybe that's energy. Maybe that's money. Maybe that's a particular skill that you have that few others have. Um, here's, here's a great example. Uh, next weekend, next Friday and Saturday, this church, uh, Florissant Presbyterian, is going to have a craft fair. And in this room, they're going to have Like all those tables you see over there are going to be set up in chairs, set up with them uh, like a community-wide craft fair. Friday at noon, they need help setting that up, laying tape along the floor and setting up these big tables. And there's a you guys know that's a bit of an older congregation, and we're a bit of a younger congregation. It's an opportunity for us, if we have time at noon on a Friday, to go and serve the poor. We have strength, we have energy, we have time. We can give it away to people who don't have the same amount of strength and energy and time as we have. Serving. So what as we go and proclaim the mission to the to, to who God has called us to, God has placed us, North Church, in this area, giving space to them. See, see, here's the deal. Is that they have, they're rich in in building, and they have served us by by allowing us to be here. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for that. We, rich in time and strength, okay, let's come and let's let's help them. Let's do this. Let's connect with each other. Serve the poor. Think about other ways where you are rich and people around you that God is calling you to are poor. Serve there. This is what we are called to do. We also have an opportunity to, to give diapers away to uh, this this women's homeless shelter women's pregnant homeless shelter uh stephanie hammond who's ill this morning and isn't here can help you with that or dave or i can help you get connected with giving that away as we proclaim the gospel we need to find where we're rich and give things away to the poor uh i want to close with, with just one question as we as we walk through response time here in just a second um I want you to, to honestly ask yourself this question: um, What is God? Who is God calling me to to proclaim the gospel to, and who is God calling me to serve? Honestly, ask yourself that question. If you walk out those doors having honestly asked yourself this question, the job is done. This is this is why we wanted to connect this message with you this morning, and and see and understand and come to grips with this gospel. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you for this gospel that you've proclaimed to our hearts. I thank you for the strength with which Paul writes. God, I pray that in these moments, as we respond to you, God, that you would connect our hearts with you. Father, my soul and my heart and my spirit is, is going back to the, the beauty that you laid upon my heart, Father, that this, this whole gospel that we are justified by faith and not the law. God, would you get our minds off of ourselves and onto you, God? Would would you get us back to a place where we live our lives completely lacking in self-awareness. And instead, all, that we, all of our self-awareness is replaced with Christ-awareness. That we might stand before God in this world, naked and unashamed. God, draw our hearts back to that place. Father, I pray now as we enter in this time of response that you would linger here with us. Connect our hearts to yours. Convince us of the gospel. Convince us of our mission. Convince us of how we are to serve. And God, may may you impose upon our brains this morning, God, those areas that you're calling us to, these reminders of the gospel, these reminders of of our mission, these reminders of of how it is we're supposed to serve, and burn those into our minds so it's tangible, even on Wednesday and Thursday and in the middle of the night, that we might go and live on mission because we have been entrusted with the gospel. God, I thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name. Amen.